0: The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, the Trident Room podcast hosts Luke Gorski and Marcus Antonellis sit down and have a conversation. Hello and welcome
1: to the Trident Room podcast. This is Luke Gorski. I'm here with Marcus Antonellis, and we are continuing our shipbuilding series where a couple of us dumb JOs go and pontificate about what we think the Navy should be doing. To do a quick recap of our last episode, uh, we kind of discussed what we want uh, in a future ship, uh, looking at what kind of things we would want when we're uh, you know more advanced in rank, 0506, flag level. Um, if we go to a war with a peer competitor, what kind of ships are we going to be sitting at at that point saying, wow, I wish we had more of this? Uh, so last time we talked about how these ships need to be survivable. In other words, they need to be able to ensure that they're able to deliver whatever capabilities we need. And we kind of broke that down into three sections. Uh, first, we talked about how they we needed to have assured C2, so the ability to communicate on and off the ship. Um, the second piece we talked about was having the a right-sized and right-trained crew to enable the operations. And the third piece Uh, was making sure that we have the right number of these ships so that they are in the places we need them to be in sufficient numbers. So today we're going to transition to talk about kind of the second piece of that. So we talked about how we need survivable capability. Today we're going to talk about what those capabilities we think we're going to need in the future. Uh, So to kick that off, we'll talk about the most fun part of the capability side of the spectrum, which is things that go boom, missiles and whatever else, rockets, I think we'll have a kind of interesting discussion here as we kind of start out with the kinetic capabilities that we think uh, will be necessary for the U.S. Navy to have in a pure competitor environment uh, in the 2030s, 2040s. Uh, so I guess to kind of kick it this off, Marcus, you have a lot more experience with missiles and things like that than I do. Um, so I think the number one thing, or at least right now, the Navy's primary uh offensive capabilities are delivered through their VLS systems. Do you say that's accurate?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, and the VLS system is, is good for a lot of reasons, right? It gives you some versatility there. You can, you can There's all sorts of flavors of standard missiles you can put in there. You can put in uh, a few devolved uh, Sea Sparrow missiles. Um, again, more of a defensive application there, but um, worth a mention for this discussion. And then, of course, you have your Tomahawk. Um, And I definitely think there's some some cool stuff uh, happening coming down the pipeline from the folks down in Port Wainimi as far as uh, Tomahawk capabilities um, go. Um, So I think that's an interesting uh, option as well. But, yeah, VLS is great. I mean, we've used it since the late 80s um, and it's 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 served its purpose uh, pretty well as a part of the as a part of the Aegis combat system.
1: Yeah, so I, I realize we're t- talking about all these systems as two Navy guys, and not all our listeners are Navy people. So we'll just do a quick VLS, Vertical Launch System. So that is, you kind of see, if you look down the aerial view on a ship, you see a bunch of little gray cells on the, the uh, front and back of the ship, and those contain missiles. Um, and these are just long tubes. Um, Marcus, how long would you say they are? I mean,
2: they're about three decks, tall so about 30 35 feet mm-hmm. and then i mean there's some of the support equipment so the, the whole unit itself is i would say about roughly 50 feet
1: tall mm-hmm. back in the napkin guess don't quote me on that yeah so you just have uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head but on our cruisers destroyers approximately 100 of these cells which can carry a variety of missiles and that's kind of i think when we were talking before the podcast, one of the BLS system's real advantage is that you can put a variety of different missiles in them. So, as Marcus said, you mentioned Tomahawk at the beginning, which, from my understanding, is probably one of our largest missiles that we're putting in there. Is that accurate?
2: Um, it, it's, it's actually uh, kind of deceiving. Um, they have a, they actually had a pretty good, again, I'm going to do a plug for Port Wainimi. They have at their, their gate, um, they have a, a mock-up of uh, SM-3. Um, and then they have a closer in by the building. They have a tomahawk and the the tomahawk is I would say I would say definitely smaller Significantly smaller than a standard missile mm-hmm. um, So I mean and that's for a number of reasons, right? You think of a tomahawk. It's a it's a slower moving um, Cruise missile, right? So it, it gets it gets kicked out of the VLS um, it, it, it gets pointed in the right direction and it just sort of goes along at its own pace It's not a very fast missile it's not a very agile, uh, uh, fancy maneuvering missile, um, but it's, it, it gets the job done. Whereas with the standard missile, it's, it's quite fast because um, just different applications. The standard missile was designed for air defense, so countering very, very fast um, targets. Um, whereas the Tomahawk, again, different mission set. Um, I mean, it has an evolving mission set, I would definitely say, but for the longest, it's just been a strike missile so fixed target not going anywhere Mm -hmm. Uh, fixed as far as i mean certainly uh hit a car or a moving vehicle but not another missile moving on the order of uh mach plus speeds right uh so yeah
1: yeah and i know that they've been you know working on the tomahawks and converting those into be anti-ship cruise missiles is a a program that's ongoing but traditionally i think for most of our listeners and you think of tomahawks it's getting launched out of ships in Operation Desert Storm or into Iraq or Syria or wherever to hit fixed targets uh, over land. So it provides that unique capability. The SMs, you talked about their uh, standard missiles, those are primary for air defense. However, we have used those in ship-to-ship roles or ship-to-ship tests from my understanding. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there have been been several public tests now of SM as used as a surface weapon, not just an air-to-air target. Mm -hmm.
1: So then you can kind of go shorter range, faster missile, uh, but with the flexibility of being able to hit air, land, sea targets. Um, And then, like you mentioned, the Sea Sparrow, which is a little bit more of a, you know, close in, I don't know, point defense isn't quite the right word, but... uh, It's
2: a a limited area. I mean, it doesn't have, without getting too much into the weeds, it doesn't, it's not a very extended. Mm -hmm. The E stands for evolved, not extended, and I'll leave (laughs) it at that. Uh, But yeah, and then there's a few other um, non-VLS systems we have, right? There's um the sea sparrow comes in a traditional uh quad or 8 pack launcher you see those on some mm-hmm. of the, the carriers mm-hmm. um and then you have the uh the rolling airframe missile the ram um mm-hmm. and that again a very high a very good solid weapon system but very limited range right so yeah i would definitely say point defense like is a uh, something's coming after you you can't really protect your neighbor um with a system like th- with with those systems, just given their, um, their low range. Um, what we see now with a lot of the, uh, blossoming technologies, um, from some of our adversaries, um, this, the, the speeds are increasing and that pushes or it, it it depresses your reaction time. Mm -hmm. Um, so these, these very short range missiles, um, I mean, a a, a missile going Mach five plus the hypersonic will um quickly travel 10 miles in, in not in, in not enough time to react i don't want to do any public math here but yeah you don't have enough time right period um and while these are good defensive systems they just have been designed um to a different threat right
1: um so we'll revisit hypersonics uh, in a minute because i think that's really valuable but just kind of focus in on um the vls uh, in terms of its current applications and where it might go or weaknesses and advantages. So I think we identified the key advantage where it gives you a lot of flexibility, gives you a lot of different missiles. Um, and I think when you read or when going through articles about uh, envisioning the way warfare is now in the missile age or is going, um, and even you know how it's been since you know cannons and stuff like that, one of the key points is the number of missiles that you can provide on target. Um, and so when you start looking at some of the modern naval uh tactics theories um things like that it in some ways some people reduce it down to counting of vls tubes how many vls uh cells tubes do you have versus the enemy um so that you can put more missiles on than them um and i think one of the interesting discussions we have for that going forward um is uh how valuable the vls cells are and where they should be Um, because yes, we're counting VLS cells, but really, what we care about in that is the missile or the offensive capability. Um, so we talked about their advantages. Um, what would you say is the biggest disadvantage of the, the VLS systems, Marcus?
2: Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a large system. I mean, you, they're getting it they're getting it smaller and smaller. Like like we mentioned earlier, there have been um, tests with just single VLS tubes um, that have been successfully employed on very small units. Um, but yeah, it's 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 on ships at least where you have ninety six plus VLS cells. It becomes a very maintenance intensive system. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole NEC dedicated to being a VLS technician. So NEC
1: um, meaning a job in the Navy. Someone's entire uh, yeah. job is knowing how to fix the VLS. Yeah, tubes. sorry, yeah,
2: yep. exactly. So it's it it's a very it's a very complex system. Um, it, it requires all sorts of support, cooling. Uh, fire main for emergency deluge if you have an issue Um, a lot of electricity a lot of power Um, so yeah it's a very it's a very intense system but it's a very robust system Mm -hmm. Um, very high uh, success rate pretty reliable system as well because like i said it's been around since i mean late 80s it's it's a very mature technology by now Mm -hmm. Uh, and i definitely think i mean going into the the future, I definitely think there will still be a vertical launch system. Will it be the the one that's been on the Ticonderoga and Arleigh Burke class destroyer? I don't know, but I de- I definitely feel that the versatility um, and the proven technology of a vertically launched system definitely has a place into the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll obviously be made improvements uh, be to be made. I mean, that's just the nature of technology. It will it will. It will open faster. It will uh, require less power. It will require less, or it'll cool more effectively. Um, those will all happen. But as far as generational leaps or revolutionary technologies, when it comes to a missile delivery or a physical missile handling mm-hmm. and launching system, I don't know. I, I, I think VLS is pretty good. I don't. I don't know of any ideas or concepts out there that really challenge hey, missiles are going to go up and down anyways. Why not store them and shoot them up and down? I right. mean, it's, <laughs> some go sideways. But for the most part, um, the, the first part of shooting a missile is getting to go up and down really fast. Mm-hmm. Might as well start it out that way.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, talking about the you know, maintenance intensive, as we talked about before, the size 30, 50 feet long is pretty significant. That means it's on a large ship right so we're at a minimum on a destruiser cruiser destroyer uh sized ship um and if it's on something different than that it's going to either take up most of the ship or you're gonna if you're talking about i mean this is all theoretical but i mean like the russians have VLS systems on their aircraft carriers but then that limits your space for everything that has to go with aircraft in terms of weapons in terms of fuel or aircraft themselves. So it's definitely a space consideration thing. Um, Ships are big, but we still somehow fill them with all kinds of different technology. Um, So kind of to draw some comparisons um, to some of the other options that are out there. So we talked about VLS um, being good. Uh, What else do we have uh, to, I guess, is our missile delivery systems?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, getting away from uh, some of the sea-based. Although I will, I would like to mention um, the Zumwalt does have a, a, it, It's still it's technically still VLS, but it's it, it's cool. It's on the the peripherals of the of the sh- side of the ship. So um, as you're walking down one of the P-ways in the bulkhead is our missile cells. Oh, that's pretty cool. So that's it's yeah it it, it is because it, it's still it's still a similar VLS system, but instead of it just being in a block. Or a rectangle of cells, it's it lines the peripheral of the ship, which which I think is a very cool design because it allows you to have a very sleek uh
1: body mm-hmm. of of the ship. So if we're going beyond VLS, um, what are some other options that we have on our ships uh to as missile delivery systems?
2: Right, yeah. So um I mean the Harpoon missile as well, uh those the large diagonally mounted canisters you see on um the, the, the earlier Arleigh Burks. I mean, they took, they took them off for the later ones, unfortunately. Um, but again, a a very, a very large, large anti-ship missile. It's been around for a while. Um, it's, it's a mature technology. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty simple delivery system. Um, I mean, you see just, you have four, um, oppositely oriented tubes just mounted on the back of, of, uh, the aft VLS deck of the, of the destroyers, um, and then the aft, the fantail on the, on the cruisers with their secondary five inch gun. Um, yeah, again, just a, a pretty, a pretty simple system. There's no, uh, there's no really, aux- there's no real auxiliary support systems for that. Um, I mean, it's an external canister, so it doesn't have a cooling system. Um, it's just, they're sort of just hanging out there on the flight deck. Um, I mean, they obviously have their umbilicals to the control nodes. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's another one
1: so can we put the harpoons in VLS cells as well or are they strictly canister launched so th-
2: those are those are strictly canister well and I'm you can mount them on a uh, on an aircraft as well right I know some of the p3s p8s I know they can carry harpoons uh, but we're not launching them out of
1: out of VLS correct
2: yeah the harpoon is not a VLS and that is be- that is it is a it is a large large missile
1: one of the things that you guys had on the LCS was the uh, naval strike missile the oh, MSM, right which is kind of the navy marine corps uh newest toy i guess
2: right right yeah no and there's and there's definitely a good capability there and i um that i believe will eventually or i guess that will be the the bane of the harpoon um as it's just a tremendously more capable missile Mm -hmm. um again i'm not hyper aware of the the form factor of the naval strike missile um, but if you can put it on lcs you can put it on any other ship in the fleet Mm-hmm. Except a minesweeper PC, so I will or patrol craft, so I will make that caveat, just so someone sitting somewhere doesn't call me out on that.
1: Right. Um, so, kind of looking at at least those two, uh, you know, sea-based missile systems. Um, I think one of the shared disadvantages that they have is the, uh, from my understanding at least, the inability to replenish them at sea. So you go out and shoot, you know, however many Tomahawks sm2s or sm3s or uh, harpoons out of canisters on the back once those are shot out you're done until you can get back into port is that accurate
2: yeah that's and that's a very tough problem um it's i'm they 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 used to do it back in world war ii but that's because the only things they really shot world war ii were these big 16 inch shells um not basically exploding computers that travel at (laughs) multiples the speed of sound um so, yeah, it's, it's a really tough problem. I mean, just anyone, uh, an unrep when you're just taking on gas and mail is a difficult problem because you have two, dynamic ob- two large dynamic objects in the ocean, very close to each other, 120 feet mm-hmm. around, separation between these two several thousand ton displacement craft just bobbing around, and then you want to elevate... An explosive between the two so it's a very so even just that from an ORM standpoint I mean that that would make most people shiver um, but then if you actually can get past that and actually look at the problem-solving aspect of it it's still very very difficult um, there no no combatant ship in the in the US Navy has a real robust crane system that could handle um, a missile onload. I mean when mm-hmm. we do missile onloads, it's a day-long day plus long evolution to take on a full loadout and the crane they bring in is a giant commercial crane with the, with the four legs that extend and uh, press into the earth to level it. And it's, it's a very large crane. Mm -hmm. And if you were to put that on a ship again, that's another, I mean our ships, like you said earlier, our ships are already packed full of systems and systems of systems. Mm -hmm. And to add another, thing, a giant crane. I mean, we have a boat davit, but that can lift a rib with a couple people in it.
1: So yeah, like a it's, small like uh what you see like the Navy seals yeah, flying around, rigid, in, yeah, sorry, rigid yeah. hull
2: inflatable boat. Um but yeah, it's orders of magnitude right different both from a weight standpoint, but then again also from a dangers, I mean, cuz what if what if you drop what if you drop a missile? Mhm. I mean, god forbid it I mean, there, there's numerous safeties built in. So usually if you just drop a missile, it's not going to, it's not like the movies, right. um, there's tons of safeties involved. However, you just broke a missile, right? And that missile was expensive. And that's one missile you don't have now mm-hmm. to engage a potential incoming threat. Yeah.
1: So I think that kind of looking forward in the, the 2030, 2040 range and peer competitor uh, areas, I mean, We can see, you know, pretty large uh, anti uh, area denial technologies, you know, that if we're going to a port, if that's a known weakness of our system, a known vulnerability or weakness, I don't know what the best way to say that is, but, um, you know, ports are fixed targets. Ballistic missiles are, I mean, they've been around since World War II, and all of our adversaries have ballistic missiles that are capable of ranging pretty much the entire United States or at least uh able to range some of our significant uh port facilities, right? So the inability to replenish your your firepower underway does start to become an issue when we're looking at actually expending ordinance there, right? So Um, I think that's going to be really something that we I don't know if we'll come up with the answer today or maybe we'll try and uh, bring in some people that are smarter than us about um, some ways that we can incorporate or, you know, look at being able to rearm these ships underway because a ship without any missiles. So now you just have a really expensive sensor with a lot of people on it. Um, So I think that that is going to be a good discussion for us going forward is trying to figure out ways to replenish offensive capabilities underway or at least in an expeditionary manner yeah and that's a very
2: i i I like how you mentioned that just a very expensive sensor because that isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean just because you are out of ammo doesn't mean you still can't engage a target with someone else's magazine right given if given an integrated uh c2 structure you can certainly hey i can i can see this guy he's coming at me i don't have anything to engage him Here's his business card, give him a call. (laughs) And your friend from down the way, who might have a couple extra standard missiles hanging out, he can send a couple over the horizon and do you a favor. Mm -hmm. That is the way we are going. One of the things with this limited, with this inability to replenish missiles at sea, and I mean, we're not, if we're worrying about, I mean, China and Russia hasn't come up with a good solution for that problem either which is surprising because they're much more risk adverse than we are. I figured they would have come up with something by now, much
1: less risk. Averse. Sorry,
2: much less. Yes. <laughs> way with words, right? They'll, they will do crazier things than we do. I'll right. Just put it that way. Um, so I think a way to mitigate the issue of potentially running out of ammo is just to make each shot count more. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Get better target data, have, have, better missiles in each cell and i think with a lot of the stuff that's coming online i mean spy six is going to offer offer a tremendous leaping capability from the spy one um a lot of the sm6 capabilities um are still maturing as technologies but there's a lot of hope on the horizon for that i think just as an all-around amazing missile mm-hmm. um, so like i said if if you know you cannot reload make each shot count
1: so i think that uh kind of through that discussion uh, remind me of some other things that you know I've been reading about uh, talking about I don't know what the correct way the the term that's generally used but essentially a, a ship that's just a missile battery so the kind of off-the-wall ideas that I've seen floated online are let's load let's, you know take a container ship and throw a bunch of VLS like hundreds of VLS sy- systems on it and now that floats in the middle of wherever well outside of where the enemy is, especially if we're talking about tomahawks or things with particularly long ranges. So now you have this boat with 200 plus VLS cells that you can use with those sensor data. So that could be something that we decide we do want to invest in or need as we continue this conversation. I think it's at least an interesting idea of having just this reserve, underway reserve of missiles.
2: Yeah, no, that's a very good and and i cause I've seen, I've seen that as well. And my, my, my comment always to the folks who want to just have these giant floating missile batteries. Um, I mean, that's what, that's what submarines sort of are, but then they do a lot better job at hiding. I mean, you can stick over a hundred Tomahawk to, cruise uh, missiles on a, on a, on a SSGN. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's a tremendous capability right there. Yeah, to, um,
1: to me the biggest disadvantage with the the sub base piece of it is as soon as you launch one of those missiles, you know where the sub is, that, which th- defeats a lot of true. the purpose of.
2: You're right. You're the submarine. you're very right there, and and then getting that target quality information to a submarine is also difficult, <laughs> because how do you do that? You you really can't when they're submer. I'm 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 not when they are submerged. i am i I'm not a submariner, but I would go as far to say as you cannot really get target quality data
0: yeah
1: and i think some of those discussions about that kind of exceed what we can talk about on the podcast oh, But right. um yeah it's uh, a different animal uh than sending radio waves that's for sure
0: thanks for joining us in the trident room for more information about today's guests and topics please visit the show notes the trident room podcast has been brought to you by the naval postgraduate school alumni association and foundation for questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at host at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tritroompodcast.